0: And so when the devil brings up some sin in your past, don't deny it, don't rationalize it. Face it head on. And remember, he was pierced through for that sin. That sin helped nail him to the cross. That sin helped crush him while he was on that cross. God caused the iniquity of us all to fall upon him.
1: Hello, and welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching minister of Dr. Carl Brogi. Dr. Broge is a senior pastor of Community Bible Church in Beaufort, South Carolina. We are working on a study of the Book of Jonah, and today Dr. Broge continues his message on Chapter 4. We pick up as Pastor Carl explains that, unlike Jonah, we need to be sure that our circumstances do not control how we live our lives.
0: We are not to let our circumstances run our life, otherwise we'll just be on this roller coaster, up and down, up and down. Facts never change. But if we let our circumstances control us, we'll have this kind of an up and down Christian life. Now, God created you with emotions. And they're not to be ignored or to be denied. They are a good thing. They're a part of being made in the image of God. But God wants our emotions to be rooted and directed in the truth of Holy Scripture. There are people who look for an emotional high, maybe even on a drug, because it makes them feel good. There are people who go out and get drunk because it makes them feel good. There are people who are involved in sexual promiscuity because it makes them feel good. And so just because you have a feeling obviously doesn't make it a valid feeling. And so whatever feelings that we may be experiencing, we need to bring them through the the, the screen of Scripture. You say, but my feelings are so real. They are. The question is, is your feeling right? And so God asks his prophet very pointedly here in verse 4, do you have good reason to be angry? You may be thinking, well, that's me, pastor. My feelings are dictated by my circumstances My circumstances determine whether I'm happy or unhappy. How do I see God develop consistency? How do I get off an emotional roller coaster? The only way is by meditating on the truth of God. Remember, when you meditate on Scripture, you're meditating on God. Because the breath of God represents the person of God. And as we'll see next time, more definitively, God will minister directly truth to this prophet. But listen, you cannot walk under the influence of God the Holy Spirit consistency, consistently unless you are walking under the influence of the word of God. Now, we've already discussed this in this series of how important the word of God was to the conversion of the Ninevites. But let's review that and go a little bit further. Hold your finger here and go to 1 Peter. If you're new to the Bible, the last book of the Bible is Revelation and scan back a little bit. And right after Hebrews, you have three men, Peter, James, and John, though not in that order. It's James, Peter, and John. Remember the inner circle, Peter, James, and John? That's that's how I remember those three clustered together. You do what you want, but remember, that's not the order, it's James, 1st and 2nd Peter, 1st, 2nd and 3rd John, then there's Jude and then John writes another book, the Revelation. Okay, lay that aside. Go to 1st Peter chapter 1 if you will. 1st Peter chapter 1 and look if you will at verse 20. One, verse 21. Please understand that the instrument that God uses to bring about the second birth is the Word of God. No one has ever been saved apart from hearing the truth of Holy Scripture. Even before the Scripture was canonized and written down on scrolls, it was still the word of God revealed through visions and dreams and through various means and methods that was preached that resulted in the conversion of souls. And so Peter reminds us here in First Peter chapter 1, verse 21, for you've been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable, that is through the living and enduring Word of God. So just as a human birth requires two parents, even so on the second birth. So on the one hand, the Bible teaches in John 3, Jesus taught you're born again by the Holy Spirit. On the other hand, the scripture teaches you're born again by the Word of God. So the Spirit of God uses the seed of the Word of God to bring about conversion. For you've been born again, not of seed which is perishable. That's your first birth. But you were born again of imperishable seed through the living and enduring word of God. And so if you're not using God's seed, then you're not going to see the effects that God would want to minister through you. Why? Because faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of God. The Bible, the scripture, the word of God is the effective instrument that the Lord uses to convert people. It's called the sword of the spirit. Now, if you sow God's seed consistently and faithfully, sooner or later, God is gonna use you to bring someone directly into the kingdom of God. But sadly, today, Christians don't even use the seed. They use a lot of undefined metaphors. So a Christian will ask an unsaved person to accept Christ, to commit his life to Christ, Dash Jesus into his heart, those things are never found in Scripture. None of those terms are found in Scripture. The Bible never tells us to accept Christ. In many people's minds, you accept him as a model, as an illustration, or commit your life to Christ. The Bible never once says to commit your life to Christ. And so for some people, to commit your life to Christ is, again, to follow his example. It's to obey in certain realms. The Bible never says to invite Jesus into your heart. That's a rather new metaphor in the history of the church. Now, Christ coming into your heart, so to speak, (laughs) we were in a, I hadn't thought about this in years, but we were in the DMV. The first service didn't get this. That's why the second service is better. We were in the DMV, and I was with my son, Jameson. He was getting his license, and he said, should I be a donor, you know, a donor, give her a donor of my organs, I said, well, what do you think, son? He said, well, what if I give my heart? And if Jesus is in my heart, does that mean I won't be saved and we'll go to the next guy? (laughs) Anyway, so my, my, my point is, is that the Bible never even says to invite Jesus into your heart. Christ coming into your heart, so to speak, is a byproduct of salvation, but it's not how you're saved. So we use all these undefined metaphors instead of using Scripture directly. God uses His Word to bring about conversion and often he uses a servant like Philip who comes alongside the Ethiopian eunuch and he unfolds the word for him. So the spirit of God uses the word of God to bring about the second birth. And when you believe that and you're convinced of that, then you'll see there's no real power in your testimony. It might give you a platform to talk to people of Jesus but people can't be saved by hearing your testimony. Faith comes from hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And I've been on countless settings when I've been sharing the gospel with someone and it seems like they're inconclusive in their thinking, they're doubting in their heart. There's like a a fog over their spiritual thinking and I just keep reading scripture and reading scripture. Even at a meet the pastor sometimes, I can read the audience and I think this guy over here is not getting it and I'll use a little more scripture and and it's like the veil is lifted. And the Spirit of God opens the mind. Well, God uses the Word of God not just for conversion, but for sanctification. Both are equally true. And so God is going to minister to Jonah through His Word to get him off of this emotional roller coaster and God wants to get us off of the same roller coaster. But just know the word of God doesn't automatically grow in your heart so that you can get off of this up and down inconsistent Christian life. So remember that's true of the lost. Jesus said some lost people, though the seed is faithfully sown, they'll not respond because of issues of the heart. Parable of the sower, Mark 4, Matthew 13, so on. It's found in all three Gospels. The same is true in reference to sanctification for the believer. Look at the next verse. Remember, the chapter and verse divisions are artificial. So we read in chapter 2, verse 1, speaking to save people. Therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, Let me just say, the reason some Christians are not hungering for the Bible as they should, the reason they do not have a voracious attitude to study the scriptures, because very often they're feeding on the wrong things. And so first, we're told to get rid of certain things. The first on the list is malice. This just refers to wickedness in general. And it's typically bent on hurting someone else. And if you want to be stunted in your spiritual growth, then just seek revenge. And I'll tell you, not only will it hurt you spiritually, it will hurt you physically. There are some people who have some serious physical problems because there's malice in their heart over what's happened to them, what someone else has done towards them, maybe what they think God should have done but God didn't do and it worsens their physical condition. Now that's not true of all physical problems, so don't go around being junior Holy Spirit here. But listen, it's one of the destructive traits of malice. And if you want to grow, you need to get rid of malice, but you also need to get rid of deceit, or you could render it guile. And it comes from a verb that means to catch with bait, dishonesty, trickery, in order to achieve one's purpose. So I ordered a product recently, and they said, you got it, we're gonna bring it. A week goes by, and it doesn't come. And I call them, and oh, it's been rescheduled. Well, we just had the fourth reschedule yesterday. We've got the product on hand. So you see, people sometimes wanna do that to make the sale, but that's dishonesty. In addition, Peter mentions hypocrisy. Hupachrysos, we uh, can hear our English word hypocrisy. It was used of Greek comedies, of someone who played the part and so they'd put on a happy mask or they'd put on a sad mask. A play actor was a hypocrite in the Greek tragedies. And of course, there are people who appear to be spiritual, but when they are guilty of malice or guile, they will try to hide it and that typically produces the next trait here, hypocrisy. And then he adds, notice, Envy. Envy. Envy is when you begrudge the strengths or the advantages or the accomplishments or the abilities of another person. It might be some position they have, the things they possess, some spiritual gifts, some ministry, whatever it is that you are envious of. And when you see something that someone else really has and you want it, you begrudge them, and that, I tell you, will make you a spiritual pygmy. And it comes from a warped perspective of how God creates his church. We think that some positions in the assembly of the local church are to be coveted. You know, the pastor, he's the big shot. He's the most important person. And I'm just a nobody. There are no nobodies in the body of Christ. Every member is critical to the essential functioning of the body. Now the verb here speaks of uh, envy and we're to put it away. And finally he adds, notice, slander. And slander is basically the verbal fruit of envy. The verb means to run down. And it's usually done when the person isn't around or sometimes gossip is made. By the way, these are sins that are covering, covering over the evangelical church today and creating great harm. And if you want to stunt your growth, if you want to rob the power of Scripture to change you. So the sword of the Spirit, it's His sword. He takes it, but He can't take it if you're not filled and you won't be filled if these things are true in your life. John Bunyan, the celebrated English pastor and minister and preacher. He died in 1688. He wrote that famous book, The Pilgrim's Progress. They say next to the Bible, it's the most uh, printed book in the history of man. And of course, people quote this of so many different speakers, but it originated with Bunyan. And he had written in the flyleaf of his Bible, as I have had in the flyleaf of every Bible I've owned since I became a Christian. This book will keep you from sin, or sin will keep you from this book. So like Jonah, we can have malice in our hearts. He's angry. And Peter warns us here, put aside all malice and guile and hypocrisy and envy and slander. These things will uh, just quench your appetite for scripture, take away your hunger, and put you on a spiritual roller coaster. So having put away these things, look at verse two. Like newborn babies, Long for the pure milk of the word so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. Now understand, Peter is not calling us to be childish, but he wants us to grow up into maturity in Christ. So he wants us to be childlike and that we should have an appetite for the Bible that a newborn baby has for milk. And here he refers to, notice, the pure milk of the word. Why? Because the Bible is God's inerrant, infallible, unadulterated truth. And it's the tool, the instrument, that God uses to grow us and to mature us. And so he's using the phrase here to emphasize the analogy between a baby's hunger and the kind of hunger that we should have towards Scripture. Now, if you come to me and you say, oh, that's a cross. I just don't understand it, I'm just so weak. I can hardly move, I can hardly keep my eyes open. Some of you look that way some Sunday mornings. And I can hardly get my leg out of bed. Oh, I'm short of breath, look at my hands there trembling. And yeah, man, you look bad, you don't look good. Uh, when did you eat last well i don't eat at all well i'll take that back i eat once a week would you preach that's the only time i eat otherwise i don't eat what do you suppose is wrong with me dr Brogy? i'll tell you what's wrong you need to get a good meal under your belt now listen to your pastor man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And if you do not eat physically, that will happen to you. And if you do not eat spiritually, oh, Pastor Carl, I'm such a weak Christian. I'm so defeated, I'm up and down and all around. Never seem to develop any consistency. What do you suppose is wrong with me? You're not feeding on scripture. Some of you come to the hog trough once a week on Sunday morning. And that's it. You do not consistently open the Holy Scripture to meditate on it to be changed. And some of you don't even come consistently on Sundays. If something interferes, oh, we're starting vacation today. We're getting a jump start. Oh, it's the Lord's Day. Oh, but we gotta get a jump start. You know, it's raining outside. Let's just stay home. Make me some fried eggs and bacon and we'll just have a quiet morning together and there's hundreds, thousands, millions across America who call themselves born again Christians. You need to feed on Scripture like a newborn baby. Now, listen, you'll never get off the spiritual roller coaster first if there's dirt in your life. Because the Spirit of God cannot root that Scripture to grow you if you're not putting away certain things but it's not enough to put away those certain things. You need to begin to set your mind, your will, and emotions according to the instrument of Scripture. You see, milk for a baby is not some addendum. It's critical to life. I've been there for the birth of the five most wonderful children in the world from my point of view. They're magnificent children. My grandchildren, well, you know, I don't believe in the immaculate conception of Mary, but I almost do for my grandchildren, you know. I mean, uh, they're nearly sinless. They're magnificent. But, you know, when these kids are born, there's an immediate hunger to want to drink. And so it is for us, like newborn babes, long, crave, earnestly desire, yearn. For the pure, the sincere, the unadulterated, infallible milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. He's not using milk like the writer of the Hebrews is using it to compare it with meat, heavier truths. He's just saying that what a baby does, we need to do. And understand, grow in respect to salvation. Never forget, salvation is a big word. He has just spoken of justification. Justification is when you are forgiven of your past sins and you're born again through the imperishable word of God. The penalty of sin in the past is forgiven. Glorification still in the future when Christ will come, you will be translated in the twinkling of an eye. You'll be made like him. You'll never be able to sin again. But between those two points, is this process of sanctification. And that's what he's addressing here. Not justification, not glorification, but sanctification that you may grow. Look at verse three, he quickly adds, if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord, knowing that not everyone has. Hey, listen, there are some people who've never had an appetite for scripture because they've never been saved. They may know all the right words. They may know the plan of salvation, but they've never met the man of salvation. They don't have a new nature. If anyone is in crisis a new creation, everything has become new. So they don't have a new craving, a new hunger, a new appetite. But then there are some who are plagued with issues and some who are even plagued by past sins. I mean, Jonah, you think he's under conviction? You know he is. We'll see it more next time. He just preached to Nineveh. Did he do it with the right attitude? Obviously, if you were here for the course and attitude, he did not. Look, when you're in sin and there's unresolved guilt in your life, it makes you angry. There's a lot of people who are dealing with unresolved guilt. Maybe you were unfaithful to your spouse. And you're plagued by that. Maybe you aborted your little baby or abandoned your children. And you're plagued by that. Maybe you regret how you raised your children or the fact that you had a divorce. How are you going to get off that roller coaster? You should jot down some of these words this morning. Remember the promise, our kids memorize it. My wife, every Wednesday, she's in there helping the kids with Miss Vernoy and a number of other marvelous ladies who care for those children. You know, music is a powerful tool for good or for evil. That's why Matt is very careful. We don't use Hillsong or Bethel. Have they produced some good songs? Of course they have. That's how the devil works. He disguises himself as an angel of light, but they've produced some absolute trash songs. So why don't we use their music? Because every song you play up there, we pay a fee on. And I'm not gonna underwrite organizations that are apostate. And so we've seen all these music pastors and senior pastors through the Bethel Hillside movement in the last two years, even, yes, apostatized from the Christian faith. And so our kids learn godly music and there's something about music. I could sing some ditty from the 70s and you could finish it, why? Because of the power of music. And not only do they learn godly music, they learn godly scripture. This is one of the Psalms they memorize. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night, and he'll be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and whatever he does, he prospers. So let me give you some passages that I think, especially if you're plagued with guilt, that will be helpful to you, and I promise you, it will be helpful to people you will minister to. Almost every, really a month ever goes by when I don't use some of these passages, when people come into a pastor's office and they're plagued with guilt and failure. Jot these down, they'll be useful to you. Psalm 103, 10 to 12. He has not dealt with us, King David wrote, according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, not the north from the south, that's a fixed point. But the east from the west, infinitely. So far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. Listen to Hebrews 8 and verse 12. He's quoting the prophet Jeremiah. For I will be merciful to their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. Forgiven sin that God remembers no more, of course, does not mean that he has a case of divine amnesia, but that God doesn't hold it against you any longer. Listen to what Jesus said in Mark 3.28. Truly I say to you, all sin shall be given the sons of men, and whatever blasphemies they utter, Certainly, this is a verse every Christian should memorize, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Or jot down this verse, Isaiah 1, verse 18. Isaiah 1:18. 18. Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are as scarlet, they will be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they will be like wool. Listen also to what Isaiah 43, 25, God said there, I, even I, am the one who wipes out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. And if you're still plagued by guilt, you should memorize and imprint Isaiah 53, 5 and 6 on your soul. But speaking of Messiah, he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him and by his scourging you are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. And so when the devil brings up some sin in your past, don't deny it, don't rationalize it. Face it head on. And remember, he was pierced through for that sin. That sin helped nail him to the cross. That sin helped crush him while he was on that cross. God caused the iniquity of us all to fall upon him. And so if Jesus took the full wrath to tell us die, paid in full the punishment our sin deserves, why should we continue to punish ourselves? For that sin is what nailed him to to the cross, and so there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But if you want to listen to the accuser of the brethren, because that's his ministry to you, that's one of his great titles, the accuser of the brethren, you have to choose. But if you can't counter those lies with truth, you'll be paralyzed by them. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. And so you will never get off of the emotional roller coaster unless you're able to bring those emotions under the authority of Holy Scripture. Now go back to the book of Jonah. Go back to Jonah. Jonah chapter four. I want you to see how God is trying to help his prophet by ministering truth to him, especially first with the truth that he is sovereign over everything. One of the central lessons in the prophet Jonah is the
1: sovereignty of God. We counter the lies of the devil with the truth of Scripture, and the truth is that God is sovereign over our lives. If you would like a copy of today's message in its entirety, go online to searchofscriptures.org. You can also order a CD or DVD copy by calling Search of Scriptures at 877-787-7478 and requesting program Jonah 009. Tomorrow, Pastor Carl's wife, Audrey, is in this time slot with her program for women, Mothering from the Heart. You can hear more of Audrey Brogy's messages on the Search Scriptures app found on the iTunes and Google Play Store. Also, please check out Audrey Brogy's podcast, Rare But Real, on Apple, Google, and Spotify podcast platforms. You can also listen to her podcast at searchthescriptures.org. When we return Monday, Dr. Brogy will conclude this message in the series on Jonah in chapter 4. Join us then as we continue to search the scriptures.